0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsey Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for being here today. Today, you are listening to episode 76, and my guest is Julie Leonard. Julie is a pre- and postnatal fitness coach. She has a master's degree in exercise science. She focuses on core and pelvic floor, and she helps people achieve an easier birth and faster postpartum recovery. In this episode, Julie and I talk about how she got into her career and she gives us some great advice on strength work and core work. And she has a wild story about the birth of one of her kids that she tells us about in this episode. This is super fun and casual and educational. You're going to learn a lot in this episode. Uh, Find Julie on social media, friends. She's strong body, strong mama, M-A-M-A on Instagram and let her know what you think of this episode. If you do enjoy this podcast and this episode, leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. That is a huge help in spreading the word and getting new listeners on to know about the show. So we really appreciate it when you do that. It means so much. I love this most recent review. Great parenting resource. Lindsay Hein has guests on to cover a wide range of parenting topics. Of course, not every episode speaks to my situation and child ages, so I skip some episodes, but many have been incredibly helpful and thought-provoking. Okay, I love the honesty there and I love the five stars. That's from D Coster. Thank you, D Coster. Friends, those ratings and reviews, that is the easiest, freest, best way you can support this podcast. So head over and make that happen. I check them every day, even though I don't see new ones every day. So when it goes up and I see a new one coming, it makes me really excited. Uh, All right, friends. Cool. Well, you enjoy my conversation with Julie Leonard. All right. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Julie Leonard on the show. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. Super excited to talk to you. I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably walking through postpartum life or possibly going through pregnancy right now. And we have some really important information to share with the listeners today. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm super passionate about this stuff. So I'm excited. It's so good. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, though, tell us where you're from because I can hear the accent and I know a little (laughs) bit of the story. Yes, so I am from Quebec City,
1: Canada. Um, So yes, my first language is French. Um, I actually didn't learn English until, well, I learned it a little bit in high school, you know, basic stuff. And then I went on to college in the States um, where I was recruited to swim in college. So that's really where I learned English. Um, So I went to college in the States and then met my husband. And then, you know, now we're here three kids
0: later. Oh, my gosh. Okay, wait. Okay, so where do you all live now?
1: So we're in Columbus, Ohio right now. We've moved around quite a bit, live in different cities in the States. But we've been here for six years now.
0: Okay, so I want to start with the competitive swimming, though, because I love talking to parents or yeah, I love talking to other parents who were competitive athletes themselves and uh, then like how they think parenting, you know, played into that and as well as how you will parent your own kids as far as athletics go and things like that. So were you a multi-sport athlete growing up and when did swimming become your main sport?
1: I was not. Swimming was really my sport from an early age. Um, So I started competitively swimming at about 10 years old. I mean, quickly it became sort of my thing. So, you know, it started with one to two practices a week and then it went on, you know, once I got to the provincial and national level, I mean, it was, you know, in the pool morning and after school um, from a very early age. um, Swimming swimming was wonderful for me. I love, love swimming. It was truly my life. Um, I had great coaches along the way that taught me so much. I mean, you know how it is with sports. I mean, you learn so many good lessons in sports. Um, And then it allowed me to come to the States, learn English and swim in college, get a scholarship, you know, so I'm super thankful for the journey. Um, But yeah, it taught me so much. And now that I have three kids of my own, um, yeah, it's It's interesting because my kids are not super, super athletic right now, which is fine. You know, well, they're all different, but, um, I'm not very pushy. I want them to experience different things and try different things to find what they like, what they enjoy. One thing, you know, I am thankful for the swimming and being very focused on just swimming for a long time, but I think there's really benefit to trying different things and learning different skills, right? Um, So yeah, my, for example, my son right now is into jujitsu and he did some soccer and my girls are doing gymnastics and dance and I want them to explore everything and just enjoy it and find maybe one thing that they like if they want to, you know, and keep pursuing that.
0: You know, I love that. I love all of that because what I hear a lot from, I also have a podcast for runners and I interview a lot of like Olympic athletes and Um, people that are just running at a really high level. And I hear from a lot of them that they were multi-sport athletes and they didn't like get laser focused on running until maybe their high school years. But, it sounds like even though you want to kind of bring that to your kid's life, you didn't have a negative experience just focusing on swimming. So, I mean, it just, I just think it's good to highlight that. Like, yes, I think the majority of people probably is good to get, let your kids try out like all these different things and not just focus on one thing. But I just find it refreshing that you're like, it wasn't a bad thing. No, it wasn't a bad thing. But
1: looking back, you know, it, I wasn't allowed or I wasn't supposed to go snowboarding or skiing because of the risk of sure. injuries and, you know, that kind of thing. So it just kept me from trying other things. You know, that's that's what I mean. Like, I wish I would have explored a little bit more and be able to do other things, but I was so focused on, I'm swimming, I can't get injured, I have this meat, this whatever – Yeah, so I just wish that I could have done a little bit more, you know, and I want that for my kids. I want them to be able Mm -hmm. to explore other things. And then your point about running, I think running and swimming are a little bit different in that running is, you know, very high impact on the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, Swimming is obviously in the water. You're not upright against gravity. So there's a difference, I think, when you specialize in running really, really, really early on. I think, you know, you might um, encounter injuries and other things uh, that swimming you might not until later on. Does oh that make sense? yeah!
0: Oh for sure. I mean, yeah. gosh, swimming is like every runner. If you are injured or you're like prone to injury, get in the pool. It is like so low impact, so full body. It's really hard to get started though. I mean, in 2013, I did a half Ironman, and like I had never been a swimmer. I remember I had I joined the swim club when I was like I don't know 10. Um, and I was always in the slowest lane. It was so hard for me. So I, I only did it for like a year and I just never really learned swimming techniques. So to teach myself that and like, I mean, I would watch videos and all these things to try to figure out like how to pull better. And, um, it's really difficult to do and it's really intimidating. Like you get in the pool and even if you're just going to like your local YMCA, people look intense and you're like, whoa. (laughs) What am I supposed, and you don't want to share a lane with anybody because you'll be too slow. And so I get that that barrier is is intimidating, but man, it is such a great cross-training tool.
1: That's amazing that you were able to teach yourself and do a half Ironman. That's truly amazing. But yeah, I totally get it because swimming is very skill-based, even though, I mean, you need strength and endurance and all that, but it's very skill-based, right? You have to learn the techniques, Otherwise, you don't go anywhere.
0: Well, right. It's like you might as well learn how to do it well. I mean, it was so hard for me to start breathing out of both sides. And I still don't do it well. I mean, I haven't swam in a while. But I mean, all that to say, when I did the Half Ironman, I was definitely like one of the I'm I'm the classic runner doing a triathlon, like slowest out of the water, gain a little bit on the bike, pass everybody on the run, you know. That's hilarious. I'm the opposite. So I've
1: done a couple (laughs) triathlons and you know, first out of the water and then people starts to
0: come on the bike and then whoop, everybody passes me on the run. Um, but your husband's a, uh, triathlete or he was an elite runner too, right? Yep. Yeah. He still runs now a little bit older, but he still
1: got big dreams and goals. Yes. He's a runner. He did a couple half Ironmans too. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool.
0: How did, did you guys meet in college? Yep. Yeah. Well,
1: yes we did. Um, he graduated just after graduation. Um, met him. He was on the track team, the cross country team, and I was on the swim team. Um, and we sort of hit it off and yeah. And, <laughs> and here we are three years, uh, three years, three kids later. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, remind me, you said you went to, uh, were you in Atlanta? Where did you go to college? We went, both of us went
1: to university at Buffalo in upstate New York. Okay. So I had chosen that college cause it was the closest uh-huh. to home at the time. And my husband is from the area. Um, But yeah, we've moved. We lived in Atlanta for a while, Chicago and Columbus.
0: Okay, cool. Well, tell us a little bit about your background in exercise science pre this postpartum during pregnancy work that you do now. What got you interested into exercise science?
1: Just my athletic background, you know, the swimming, really just being an athlete, I thought I was going to become a physical therapist. Uh, Until I went through my own knee surgery and rehab process, and I was like, eh, maybe this is not for me. Uh, I just really like training people, strength, you know, coaching. So I have a bachelor's degree in exercise science, and then I sticked around and did a master's as well. Um, great, great experience at my school. They hired me to teach when I was in my master's program. So I taught classes to the undergrads. It was awesome. Um, And then I had my kids and that opened my eyes to all the things that I didn't know, like the pelvic floor, the core, literally never talked about this in my classes in college. (laughs) So I knew that after going through my own birth and postpartum experiences, this is something I wanted to do. Um, I stayed home for many, many years, actually, after having my kids until I sort of at loss. I just needed something for me. And it just clicked, you know, with my background in exercise science, my athletic background, the strength coaching, and all that, and my birthing and postpartum experiences. I knew that I just could combine all of this and help people have more positive, better experiences. Uh, so I went back and did a pre and postnatal certification. I, I kind of jump around in the story a little bit, but I had my own issues with pelvic floor after my third child. So I had urgency incontinence, which is that I got to go right now. You can't really hold it. And that really took over my life. I barely could get out of the house because I was just so afraid I was going to leak, you know, at random places. So I would go to Costco And suddenly the urge is, you know, coming to me and I'm in the middle of an aisle and like, where's the bathroom? You're Mm -hmm. in Costco, right? It's super embarrassing and terrifying. Uh, So I was on a journey to get help for myself, really. And I had a hard time finding help. I went to many doctors, many specialists, and I was told, well, you're too young for this, you know, this is not typical in a 30-something-year-old. And I was really discouraged until I found some lady who was a pelvic floor therapist in Florida, and she was advertising this mentorship in pelvic health, and it was open to fitness professionals. So I was like, well, that's, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to go learn everything about the pelvic floor. So literally book a flight to Florida, went, spent a weekend with this awesome lady, um, Tracy share, and she taught me everything about the pelvic floor. And she was the first person who really, you know, looked at me in the eyes and said, Julie, like this is common. It's it's not just old people. This is, I hear this. I see this every day in my office. This is common. We can, we can help you. There's help. Like you can get better. So that was really the start of my journey with the, the whole pelvic floor and helping people. So that experience combined with my, you know, pre and postnatal, um, just got me to, to help people. You know, I want them to know that, you can do things during pregnancy to prevent mm. or to, to at least minimize your risk of all these issues that we see in postpartum.
0: Okay. Let's talk about your issues specifically, this, this urgency incontinence. Um, how, what was the solution for you? Like what ended up, I know it's probably a million exercises, but like what ended up working for you? Cause you don't have the issue anymore. So,
1: so I don't want to say I don't, I still have urgency symptoms. Okay, And so that's, it's been five years now. And, but I have, I have learned how to manage them. Okay. And so yes, I, sometimes I'll have flare ups, um, that might just be the, the urgency symptoms. Some, I, I mean, I have leaked a couple times and I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, it has happened since I've, you know, so I don't, I don't want to say I'm cured. Sure. I think it's like you're learning how to live with it and how to manage symptoms. Um, for me, I have triggers and now I know my triggers, so pulling into the garage, turning the doorknob, the water in the bathtub or the sink. Okay. So when I was... when Pulling were into really, the garage,
0: that just like totally like why?
1: Right. Exactly. It's like habitual. Uh-huh. Like, you know, You know, if every time you come in the house, you go to the bathroom, then your brain starts sure. to think, well, my bladder is full. I'm going to start spasming, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. And let me tell you, like, the urges are strong. I'm not talking about just, oh, I think I have to go pee. It's like, no, 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 I got to go right now. Like, I'm going to pee my pants. So for me, figuring out what my triggers were, and then when I have a trigger, when I know I'm pulling to the garage, it's taking some deep breaths, relaxing my body, which people think, oh, wow, you're going to relax your body, it's going to make you pee. Like, no, actually... When I'm in this uh, urgency mode, my body is over tense and I'm freaking out. Mm. So what I have to do is actually calm down my nervous system. So taking some nice 360 breaths, changing my little routine instead of going straight in the house. I'll literally do a lap around the house. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And like, then the urge completely goes away. It's like, wow. Wow. You know, so it's very habitual. Um, And then on top of it, a lot of people that have urgency symptoms have tightness in their pelvic floor. So they are hypertonic. So for me, learning how to release tension in my pelvic floor is also super, super helpful. So that could be, again, breathing, pelvic floor release exercises, there's poses that you can take to release the muscles, um, some self-tissue work, um, that kind of thing. So, wow. I mean, it could be different for everybody. So this was my experience. Sure. So
0: this is how I manage, you know, the symptoms. You know, gosh, as you're talking about that, I'm just thinking like our nervous system is like so connected to everything. And I mean, I, ha- I struggle with some pretty intense anxiety sometimes. Like it's very, I think, related to hormones as well. Um, and just the amount that my nervous system is tied to when the anxiety flares, like I'll get like a shooting feeling in my hand, you know what i like, you can just like feel it like coming. And it's just to be able to have the skills to know what to do, right? Like you're saying this is, er this is, um, uh, bladder incontinence for you. But like for me, it's other things. And for other people, it might be other things. And our, your nervous system just go and you're just woo. So to have the, the skills to, to cope and walk through this and say, this is happening right now. This is what I need to do to walk through it. It's, it's invaluable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I teach people how to do this in pregnancy to prep for birth too, because you can use these skills during labor to cope, right? So like you're saying, calming the nervous system to let your body relax in labor so it can do what it's supposed to do. Because when we're like, yeah. all tense up, it makes things worse. When you're all tense up, you actually feel more pain, your perception of pain is greater.
0: Yeah. So yeah,
1: it, it is so powerful to learn how to calm down. And you know, being an athlete for all these years, like, I, I always was like, eh, yoga, I don't like that. I don't mm-hmm. want to sit there and just breathe. You know, nobody wants to. Totally. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? But, you know, for me, I have found that the pelvic floor release exercises are sort of my meditation. Mm-hmm. Like, during my relaxation. I feel like a little bit more productive. I'm holding, you know, a, a certain stretch or a pose that's relaxing my pelvic floor. And I incorporate the breathing with it, uh, which calms my nervous system. And to me, that's my meditation. So I guess you just have to find what works for you,
0: you know? It's so strange. And I know I'm relating this back to my anxiety. It's a little bit different topic. But I just, I don't know why we're so resistant too. Like we know it'll help and we know it'll be better if we work on these strategies, whatever the issue may be. But we're resistant. I don't know if it's because of the work or we're nervous it won't really help. But man, the human mind. Yeah. I think we're just go, go, go all the
1: time. We have so much on our plates. We, you know, do so many activities. We're always busy going from one thing to the other. Yeah, so it's it's hard for our brains to
0: just actually stop for a minute and breathe. Hey, friends, a quick break here. Did you know that I am a running coach and I have training plans for sale on my website, lindsayhine.com? Um, I've actually been running marathons for, oh my gosh, way too many years. I've been a runner since I was 15. I've run 17 marathons and coached over 100 athletes to run their first 5K half marathon, marathon, Boston qualifier, so many fun goals that I've walked beside people with to help them meet. So I do coach one-on-one, but I also do have training plans. So um, I have 5K training plans half marathon training plans and marathon training plans from beginner to advanced on my website. And I would just love for you to check them out. If you've got a goal or a marathon or a half marathon, you are looking to complete. Uh, these plans come with pace charts and detailed schedules as well as pre and post run stretching and strength videos. They were such a fun project to work on. And I just put my years of experience and knowledge into them. So uh, they're a pretty conservative approach as well. I feel very strongly that running a half marathon or a marathon should not take over your life. You have lots of other things going on. So I wrote them with a fairly conservative approach. And I always say if there's a day you need to take off, just take one of those easy days off the schedule and, and cater it to your life and your plan. So go to lindsayhine.com and you can check out those training plans um, on the training plan and coaching tab. And if you are interested in coaching and you want coached for a half marathon, marathon, whatever it is, I'd be happy to help you out too. My email is Lindsay at Sandyboyproductions.com, and you can contact me there. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Julie Leonard. Okay, so Um, Let's talk about some things people can do during pregnancy to be proactive about preventing the incontinence or um, just issues with the pelvic floor postpartum. I know this is like a before, you know, and then you got your labor and then an after. I know it's like one big puzzle, but let's let's go pregnancy first. I love that, first of
1: all, because I think there's so much emphasis on postpartum, which you know is great and needed, but I think it's lacking in the pregnancy side. And the thing is, if you work on these things during pregnancy, like you said, you can reduce your risk, minimize the problems for birth and postpartum. So uh, things that you can do, you can start learning about your body. I think education is huge. You know, um, the unfortunately generic birth classes are not really teaching you core pelvic floor information. Um, And like I said, with a bachelor and a master's degree in exercise science, I have never learned about the pelvic floor. Even people in med school barely learn about the pelvic floor. So that's the first thing. I think educating yourself, um, learning about what is the pelvic floor, right? What does it do? Uh, Where is it located? Can I feel it on myself? So learning how to relax the pelvic floor is very important for birth because when you give birth, baby, if baby comes out vaginally, these muscles are gonna open, they're gonna relax or lengthen, okay? So they're not contracting when you have a baby, they're relaxing. So when people say, do you Kegels, do you Kegels? It's like, well, yes, we need a strong pelvic floor, but it needs to be well-balanced. For birth, the pelvic floor needs to relax, not contract. Okay, so we're, we need to make sure that we work on that during pregnancy. Now, yes, we want strong pelvic floor so that we can avoid leakage and, you know, maybe prolapse symptoms, that kind of thing. But it's, again, it's really a balance. So the best way to practice that is to incorporate it with your breathing because we know that the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work together. So practicing, you know, diaphragmatic breathing, I call it 360 breathing, thinking about the breath going all around your trunk. And that breath will relax the pelvic floor and then as you breathe out, the pelvic floor will sort of lift a little bit and engage slightly. And then your deepest layer of abs will engage.
0: I'm like trying to do it right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you inhale, everything kind of expands. Pelvic floor is lengthening. And as you exhale, <sighs> pelvic floor is going to lift gently. And then again, deep abs will engage. And some that's like, sometimes people need a little reminder. That's what it's supposed to happen. So during pregnancy, because Your belly is stretching, right? All these muscles are being stretched in the abdominal wall. It's important to stay connected to that, to these muscles, to keep them strong. And you actually, the deepest layer of abs that we have, the TVA muscles, is actually a muscle that we can use during the pushing stage to help us get baby out. So that's like a win-win. So you keep strengthening the TVA during pregnancy. You learn how to properly relax and engage your pelvic floor so you can have a better birth experience. And then you're ahead of the game in postpartum because that's where you would start your rehab process after having a baby. Ideally, it would be breathing, pelvic floor relaxation, pelvic floor contractions, TVA engagement, and then putting it all together and using that with your movements to support your body in the postpartum period.
0: Um, okay, so let's talk about appropriate ab strengthening moves to do when pregnant. I mean, so I my first baby was 2012, and I cannot believe how much more information is out there now compared to then. And I mean, part of that is we didn't really have, I mean, we barely had Instagram then, you know, and there's a lot of resources like what you're putting out there that are easy to, easy to digest, easy to understand, and... Um, and, and I know you have programs that people can purchase, but like there's a lot of good free information out there, too, um, that I just I didn't know to look for at that point. Right? right. And I remember people being like, yeah, you're not supposed to do crunches when you're pregnant. And I, you know, I mostly just kept running and and that's it. But tell us, like, what are some myths and then what are some like good strengthening exercises we can do while we're pregnant? And does that change throughout the trimesters? Yeah. So
1: there's not really, you know, do this, don't do this. I mean, yes, I don't really recommend crunches and setups because one, you have a bowling ball in front of your <laughs> belly and it's uncomfortable. Um, and you know, the linea alba, which is a connective tissue that runs between your six back abs, that's going to get stretched and thinned out during pregnancy. That's what we consider, you know, ab separation, diastasis recti, which is completely normal because we're growing mm-hmm. a baby. Um, So when we're doing, you know, a bunch of crunches and sit-ups, it puts a lot of pressure on that tissue that's already weakened or thinned out. So I advise, you know, after the first trimester it's probably a good idea to start modifying these exercises. But you can really turn any exercise into a core exercise if you truly work on the breathing that I mentioned before. So if you incorporate that 360 breath with the pelvic floor lengthening, and then on the exhale, pelvic floor is lifting, and the deep abs are engaging, or sometimes I'll say a good cue would be hugging baby on your exhale. When you incorporate that with your exercises, anything is a core exercise, Mm. like your squat, your deadlift, like it could be anything. Now, one thing to be mindful about is remember tension to task. We want to make sure that we give just enough tension appropriate for the task at hand. So you know, if you're lifting a couch, that engagement is going to be stronger. If I'm just doing, I don't know, picking up a pencil from the ground, like it's not going to be a whole lot of engagement because if we overdo it, if we over tense, then that's not necessarily a good thing. We can create tension in different areas, which is not good.
0: I think about that often now, even like, cause I, I strength train usually like two or three times a week and I'm like, slow your roll and like pay attention to what's happening with your abs right now, like when you're squatting, like because if you do just like let it all hang out and you're not really engaging or focusing, like you're getting a lot less out of it.
1: But yes, I agree. But it's important to actually the whole like let it hang out is actually really important part of strengthening. So if we're always, you know, contracting these muscles – they're not going to get stronger. Just like if I can't hold a bicep curl, you know, up here and it's, I'm not going to get stronger. I need to lengthen the muscle and then contract just like the pelvic floor. And that's the same thing for your abs. Like if you're constantly sucking in, which I see a lot in postpartum, especially it's just not going to do you a favor. Like you need to actually let it relax and then engage, right? So that's why I'm saying on the inhale, the breath is going to expand everything. Uh And then on the exhale, there's going to be that engagement. Now that's different if you're like deadlifting a heavy weight, you know, that's going to be different.
0: Okay. I love that. Thank you for that. Um, Mm -hmm. Walk us through a little bit about uh, postpartum. So we focus on the breathing, the relaxing, all the things we talked about, pregnancy. You know, you know, you mentioned like, through your education, a lot of doctors aren't talking about pelvic floor a lot. Um, It's almost like at your postpartum appointments, they just don't have time. And they're, you know what I mean? And and it's just like, it's just not really addressed. I don't know if it's just like, I don't think you're going to want to go back to exercising. So it doesn't really matter. That's just how your body's going to be. Or you can do your own research. But I do think we need a lot more guidance. And so I'm just curious, like we have a baby. We go back to our six-week appointment. If you're someone who's going to a doctor who's just like, all right, you're good, you're cleared, what would your interference be? Like, what would you (laughs) say, okay, don't just do that. What would your first step be for someone? Yeah,
1: I so wish that we had guidelines for postpartum moms to know exactly sort of the steps. And the problem is just hard because everybody is so different. Their pregnancy is different. Their genetics is different. You know, their birth experience was different. So it's very difficult to give guidelines to people that are for everybody. And I think that doctors, one, might not have the time. And two, honestly, they're not exercise physiologists. And they're not pelvic floor therapists. So they might not even know a lot of these things.
0: Which is wild.
1: Right. (laughs) So one of the first thing I would say, yes, being clear at six weeks postpartum, honestly does not mean that you should go out on partial in-run or do like uh, any other type of exercise yet. I think that it's important to consider your body, your symptoms. Do you have pain? Do you have leakage? Do you have pressure? Did you have a tear? Did you have a C-section? Um, and then start rehabbing your body. I'm a firm believer that everybody, no matter what type of birth you had, you should spend some time rehabbing your body. Even if BERT was, quote-unquote, easy or, you know, unmedicated and there's no thing, it really doesn't matter to me because you carried a baby for nine months, there was added pressure on the pelvic floor for nine months. Mm-hmm. Your abs were stretched, right? That's normal. But, you know, the fact is these muscles were stretched. There was trauma to the pelvic floor even if there was no tear. So I think it's important to spend the time rehabbing, and that could be, you know, depending on the case of the person, it could be two, three weeks, and it could be up to, like, months of rehab work. You know, I think this should be the norm, starting with breathing. And like like you said, the pelvic floor release, pelvic floor contraction, reconnecting the brain with these muscles, that you have lost a little bit of connection because everything was stretched. We need to reconnect and then strengthen, and then let's go back to our activities.
0: So what are ways we can connect and strengthen? So well same thing that I said with the breed
1: it starts with the breathing and it's gentle rehab exercises so incorporating the breath and the deep core engagement with movement so it, let's say you're on the couch nursing baby you get up from the couch you're holding baby you would exhale lift pelvic floor you know engage your deep abs and then stand up as you're exhaling okay so right there that's a reconnecting exercise you're teaching your body your brain When I'm getting up and when I'm exerting myself, my pelvic floor is going to lift and engage a little bit and my deep abs are going to support me. Mm. And you just start incorporating into your daily life. And then obviously there's, you know, rehab exercises that you can do, you know, core exercises. You start more gentle, learn how to manage the pressure because it's a pressure system. So you learn how to manage this pressure inside your belly and then you just progress to harder and harder exercises. So that might look like on your back to begin with. But then we need to get you off your back because real life does not happen on your back. You know, you want to be running? Okay. So we're going to have to go through a progression of exercise that are harder and that gets you up against gravity. And then we're going to strengthen your body because, you know, you lose some strength during pregnancy. We we all do. And then we're going to do some single leg work. And then we're going to reintroduce impact and make sure that your pelvic floor is doing what it's supposed to do, right? make sure that you're not leaking. And if you are, well, okay, how can we troubleshoot to get rid of this leaking? So I'm not saying like to not go running until you're completely leak free and all that. But I do think people would benefit from winning a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I look back at what I did after my first baby, especially and I'm like, that was so reckless. I don't know how I I don't know how I came out the out of other side without like being totally damaged, like without stress fractures and like all the things that I just I just went hard. And I didn't even think I was going hard at the time. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm cleared to run six, six weeks. I'm going to go run three miles today. And right. I was running a marathon literally four months postpartum. Like I didn't think there was anything unnormal about that. And um, honestly... I think I got lucky. Like, I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. think because, and I feel good. I don't remember honestly, like looking back now, I probably didn't, but, um, it, it almost feels like a different world now with like three extra kids on top of that one kid. And just, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And I think, I, I think I got out unscathed. Um, and it was a very small percentage that I, could have done that and somehow I did and I had a c-section with my first baby as well so maybe maybe that was why because I didn't have the the pushing out of the baby and I by the way I know you had a v-back I had three v-backs so Mm -hmm, yeah yeah, it's uh it's kind of a cool thing because I remember when I decided to have the c-section it was scheduled it was not emergency like yours but I had a breech baby and I had to do a c-section so um I remember my doctor saying, like, how many kids do you want to have? And I thought, I want to have a bigger family, I think. And she said, it's okay. I mean, I've, I've done several V-backs on people that have multiple kids. But, like, once you get to, like, maybe five, it's kind of getting a little, you know. Right. So, anyway, I was able to V-back three times. And um, I'm really thankful for that. And I'm really thankful that, you know, the C-section was not – that big of a deal and everything was good but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your experience having the emergency c-section and then did you do two v-backs?
1: Yep. So I had two v-backs after the emergency c-section which I actually had a breech baby as well. Oh, you did. Um, is that why it was yeah. emergency? Yeah, well, not really. Yes and no. So the so what happened is I was 36 weeks and my water broke in the middle of the night and you know, we're, we're like, Oh, is this it? Yeah, I guess this is it. First yeah, that's time early. um I guess, you know, we're gonna head to the hospital, which is like five minutes down the road. My husband, my husband is like, uh, I'm gonna take a shower, you know, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, so he goes in the shower, and I'm in the bathroom, and literally contraction started. Oh, and they were a minute, you know, long and two minutes apart. Like, they just were so intense. I couldn't talk. And I look at myself in the mirror, you know, I can still see uh, picture of that moment. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm not going to if this is truly what it's going to get worse. Like, I'm not going to make it. This is like really intense. So I tell him to get out. I was like, we need to go right now. Something is wrong. Like, yeah. I don't. This is so intense. So we make our way to the hospital five minutes down the road. And I'm telling him to, like, burn the red lights I'm like you are not stopping. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, you go. And so we show up and, you know, I'm having a lot of contraction. They're very intense. They put me in a room and the nurse is like, check me. And, oh, I feel a foot. Oh, oh shit. His, his foot is out. Uh, <gasps> you're, you're fully dilated. Like this baby is coming out. So this was literally within an hour, like of the whole wow. thing. Wow. So you know it's it was really not textbook right they tell you that late first time moms will labor for i don't know 18 to 24 hours so for me i mean everything happened so quickly and it was so intense that there was really no relief and and i was just so confused you know why why is this happening why is this so painful what you know And so when they found that he was breached and the foot was coming out, they weren't, it was not a hospital supportive of having um, a breached baby born vaginally. So they're pressing the emergency buttons, you know, people are coming in the room and they're freaking out and yelling and it was just really chaotic. Oh, I Meanwhile, you know, I'm on the bed and like, there's no pain meds, right? I'm like having intense contraction are making me sign all these papers and I, I, I can't even read, like I was signing, you know, scribbling over the papers um, and the doctor wasn't there. There was no, I don't know why, but there was like no OB there. There was like no doctor that could do a C-section, an emergency C-section at the time. So they will me into the OR and they're like, the anesthesiologist is not here and I'm just asking for pain medication. And they strap me down on, you know, like when you do a C-section, I guess they strap your arms down, right? And I remember having these belts going sort of, I guess, around my belly and I just was like stuck to this table without pain medication and, you know, it's like try to have contractions fully dilated when you're strapped to a table.
0: I cannot, this is so traumatic. It's like
1: the worst thing, right? And then on top of it, they said, well, to my husband, you can't go in uh, because they wanted to put me under general anesthesia because he was coming out. So they wanted him out quickly. So they're like, you you, you can't come in. So I was totally alone. And literally, I think the worst part for me is that nobody was paying attention to me. Like Mm -hmm. they were running like crazy people around the room. And I'm there strapped to a table in crazy pain. And, you know, nobody... Like, I think that was the traumatic part. Like, nobody was there holding my hand telling me, hey, it's going to be okay. Take a breath. I'm here. Like, mm. nobody. So uh, this this story kind of gets me sometimes talking about it. Oh, it makes it. me
0: want to, uh, like, I mean, it makes me want to cry. I cannot imagine. Oh, thank like, <laughs> you.
1: I've been doing a lot of work, you know, to try to heal from the whole experience. But, like, the last thought that I had before they put the gas on me was, it's okay. This baby is going to be okay. You know, you're going to die, but this baby is going to be okay. You thought that. And so, yeah, like I, in the moment I, I thought I was dying. Yeah, literally. And I think that's, you know, that was, that's the trauma right there. Like when someone experiences, uh, you know, it just, you, you feel like you're not going to make it like, that's really traumatic. Um, and afterwards, you know, I for a while, I I was questioning myself, like, oh, do you, should you really feel traumatized? Like, maybe that's so. it wasn't a big of a deal. Like, why are you making such a big deal out of it? Um, but now, nine years later, like, my trauma is valid. And whatever, you know, people listening, if you've had trauma, whatever that looks like for you, even if to others, it doesn't seem like it was crazy trauma or whatever, it is still trauma to you. Right. And it is valid and your emotions are valid. And I think it's important to maybe reach out for help, uh, talking about your experience and just have your feelings validated can really help a lot. So anyways, I know you said quick story.
0: It was kind of long. I (laughs) am in shock that that happened to that. You, I, I knew that you had a traumatic birth experience. I did not know it was that traumatic. um, what happened though like you you said the OB wasn't there the anesthesiologist wasn't there like they couldn't wait that long did they just get someone in on emergency like quickly i mean but you were yeah. it was emergency like this has to happen now
1: Right and and looking back was it really that of an emergency if he was truly coming out why could i not just Could they give have birth? just go ahead and rolled their sleeves yeah. up and delivered it that way Right but anyways, yes. They, so the hospital, there was a hospitalist. I don't know if I'm saying that word right, hospitalist. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, so they called this person who, yeah, so she came in and did the surgery.
0: Which is scary because it's like, I mean, if you could hand select someone to cut you open and do a C-section, you want it to be the person that does that on a regular basis for their job she actually had a background in ob i think so oh, that's
1: good. It, it worked out she yeah. actually did, she did, she did a great job and she came to visit me afterwards when when i was you know recovering and she was she did a great job and she was very nice so i'm i'm thankful for that but yeah <laughs> quite the experience yeah my doctor um, the person on call who was the ob that didn't show up on time showed up like afterwards my husband told me he showed up in flip flops and shorts and he was like oh <laughs> baby is born. (laughs) Oh
0: my gosh. Now looking back, I mean, do you think there's a way for someone? I mean, I guess you're kind of at the mercy of the staff at the hospital, but like, why couldn't your husband have been in there holding your hand? I guess, I guess I remember when they took me back for my C-section, he couldn't go in when they did this, you know, put the spinal in, but like once they put it in, he could come back, but you were so rushed.
1: Yeah. I think it's just when it's general, when they put you under, they just don't allow people. It's just, it's just their quick. policies. Yeah. This is just their policies. I don't know exactly why. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> now when you woke up and were you like, Oh my gosh, I'm alive.
1: I was so confused. I was really drugged up. First yeah. of all, I was, you know, not feeling great. And, um, woke up baby was not they took my son you know to wherever they took him and I woke up I was so confused like what just happened you know and a couple hours later I guess they my husband brought him to me and this is really sad because like the first moment that I saw him you know you imagine like this wonderful bonding moment but I was just So drugged up and so confused and and so much pain that I actually pushed him away, Mm. you know, and I was like, no, not right now. Mm. Like I just, yeah, I was sort of, I think I was in shock,
0: really. Gosh, you know, somebody recently um, posted something like, shared on Twitter that was like, why are we always, like until we start asking dads how they manage it all as athletes, Uh, yeah, let's stop. Like we shouldn't be asking just moms this, but, and I realized that statement was more like just holistic life balancing with kids, but like hearing stories like this, it's like, no, it is different. Like birth can be like the trauma that you experience from that birth is not just like, oh, the six months postpartum, like you're still walking through this and like figuring this out emotionally. So like Yes, men can go through trauma too with birth experiences, but it is just different when it is your physical body that has birthed a human. It just mm-hmm. is. And I I think that there's so much to that in terms of just everything with motherhood. And so it's not to say we shouldn't ask men those questions too. I just have the caveat that like it is different. <laughs> it is, it's different, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Your husband can't he cannot fully understand what you went through. He just can't because he but, didn't He didn't walk through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, even though that was really traumatic
1: to me, like now, nine years later, I'm able to talk about it. I've, yeah. Like I said, I've done a lot of work on it. But that also is a huge part of why I do what I do now, Yeah. which I'm super thankful to. You know, I'm so, so, so passionate about helping moms avoid this sort of trauma by being maybe more educated and have better tools. I mean, I'm not sure if I could have avoided all this, but I just want to do what I can to help moms just feel more prepared and empowered and like have a good support team and just have all the tools to really have a positive experience.
0: Okay. So I'm curious and we we're getting short on time, but how did that affect you as far as having your other two babies? Like, how did you handle being anxious about the birthing experience again?
1: Uh, so I when I got pregnant again, I just knew right away that I wanted to experience vaginal birth and I was going to do whatever I needed to try to get that. Um, so I started getting myself and I started preparing, you know, mentally, physically and all that. Um, again, we, I know we're short on time, uh, long story short, I was put on bed rest for five months. So, um, my physical preparation went out the window. So really what I did is educate myself and prepare mentally for, you know, the rest of my pregnancy. Um, and I knew from my research and everything that I knew with my education that trying to have a VBAC and trying to have it unmedicated was going to be my best shot at having a VBAC. Mm. Um, so that's what I did, really. So I decided I was gonna, yeah, prepare my mind, and I had my V back, and it was difficult because I was really weak physically.
0: Because you had been um, on bed rest for five months, man.
1: Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Did
0: you have preeclampsia? Why were you on bed rest?
1: No. So I had. So they discovered so I probably had it with my first. That's why he was early probably. I had a very short cervix okay. um, that starts, it's called funneling. So basically you start dilating really early on. So my cervix was completely effaced by the time I was 19 wow. weeks. So, you know, I was, I don't know, a couple of seven years dilated for a long time. <laughs> so wow. they just it, you're just more at risk for preterm labor. Sure. So back then they recommended bed rest because they don't know what else to do. Really? Just, you know, other than a surclash, which is um, when they they put a stitch to close your cervix. But I was so, the cervix was so far gone, there was nothing to stitch. So the only thing they could think of is like, well, you're just going to have to lay in bed. Wow.
0: Oh, my gosh. I remember those late appointments. I'd be like, I was always a late deliverer. Like my my last um, two babies were a full week overdue. And I just remember like, by the time I got to my last two, I'd be like 38 weeks and they'd be like, do you want me to check you? And I'd be like, no, don't even, don't even bother (laughs) because I was never dilated early. This is like crazy. Uh, But that, so do they still do that? Do they still put you on bed rest? No. Because you said back then. so the research has, you know, change
1: and like it, bed rest doesn't really do anything other than make the mom weak. You know, mm. they, they will tell people to take it easy and like, you know, not overdo it kind of thing. Um, and then they there's other interventions that they can do like progesterone and other things like that. Um, but yeah, no, bed rest is not recommended anymore. And I, <laughs> actually, the, my third child, I also had the short cervix and I was not on bed rest. So I was able to swim um, walk, that kind of thing.
0: Oh my gosh. So, I bet that was a much better experience.
1: Yeah. So that was my third, my second VBAC. And that was so much better because I, I wasn't weak. You know, I was able to stay active and I was able to incorporate the corn pelvic floor stuff that I know now and just the mental prep and everything, which made a huge difference.
0: Okay. Yeah. Last thing I'm going to ask you about before we uh, wrap up with into podcast, one of the posts I saw that you write about was, um, like birthing positions. And I know this is like probably way longer than the one minute that we have for it. But um, it's just crazy because all my VBACs, I was like, give me the epidural. I don't care about going natural. That's my life. That's who I am. <laughs> and so I just, you know, obviously laid on my back and that's how we delivered. Um, But how did you, did you deliver from a different position? So my first VBAC was on my back. I was like,
1: I didn't really know yeah. anything else. Really. Yeah. Um, my third one, I was really adamant about choosing my position cause I was so uncomfortable on my back. Yeah. I was so, so, so uncomfortable cause I, I, and I was unmedicated, right? So the third one, I decided to do birthing on a birthing stool. So you're sort of squatting over that, that stool. So now I know that even with a epidural, you can be in a position like a side lying or even on all fours. And it's freeing the sacrum to move so that you create more space for baby. So when you're on your back, like the sacrum has nowhere to go. Yeah. Which is more painful. And you're closing the outlet where the baby comes through.
0: I mean, I just like, so if you're on a birthing stool or you're squatting, like you're going to the bathroom. I mean, to me, that makes more sense because when you're pushing, they tell you to push like you're like, pooping like push as hard as you can like push everything and obviously when you have an epidural like you can't really feel much if you get a good epidural which I had amazing epidurals (laughs) um but like to me it makes so much more sense like that you would be in that position to like push it out rather than like laying back and you know beyond the pelvic floor stuff that we talked about like the lack of education there ain't nobody telling you about that
1: right nobody had once told me that (laughs) Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm yeah, really big on just sharing this knowledge during pregnancy. Yeah, we need to share this because, I mean, there's evidence, it's like research about this. Like, it really does open up the space. So I don't know why doctors still use the, if you have to use the back position, how about you put a rolled towel underneath mm-hmm. one side of your pelvis so that you actually free up some space? know little things like that can make a huge difference
0: gosh okay so y'all need to go to julie's page because you can find posts like that where you can learn like mind-blowing information (laughs) like that (laughs) it's strong body strong mama right m-o-m-m-a mama
1: strong body strong mama m-a-m-a
0: okay m-a-m-a okay got it yeah um all right what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you have not done yet
1: Uh, okay. So I really want to take my kids, my whole family on a trip across Canada. I really want to, so there's a a train that goes, you know, across the country and they have these beautiful like glass viewing cars. And I really want to take my family and just explore Canada. You know, that's my country. And I
0: just, that would be really awesome. That sounds incredible. I want to get up to Canada with my family too. That, and I want to go to Alaska. Got those on my bucket Nice. List. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. What is the best, most recent book you've read? So I am st-
1: I have it right here. I'm still working on – it's called Strong Women Lift Each Other Up. Okay. Have you heard of it? No. No? Molly Gulbright. She is the founder of uh, Girls Gone Strong. Um, a st- she's a strain coach. And it's a fabulous book so far. Um, all about lifting other women. We're not
0: competition, you know, and just – just lifting each other up along the way. I just, I really love it. Um, What is your last message to leave with the audience today?
1: Uh, I think I would say to be proactive. If you're expecting, be proactive and, you know, prepare yourself during pregnancy, learn about your co-operative floor, hopefully avoid issues. And then if you're postpartum, give yourself grace, Mm. (laughs) you know, take the time to rehab your body and you will get back to the things you love to do. And, I truly believe you can be stronger at 40 than you were at 20 years old. But you know, let's let's not just think about bouncing back. Let's just move forward and just support your body, rehab your body, and then get back to the things you love to do.
0: Incredible. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the podcast. We loved hearing your story. Again, you guys can find Julie on Instagram. She's strong body, strong mama over there. Go let her know that you enjoyed the episode. When you share this episode on social media or you text it to your friends, you will be entered to win a pair of gooder sunglasses. Just make sure you take a screenshot and send it to us or tag us on social media. Why is everyone yelling so we see it and know that you've shared so we can enter you in to win For the month of March, a pair of Gooder sunglasses. Uh, All right, friends. I hope you're having the very best day. We so appreciate you joining us here on this podcast, which is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. Learn more about our network and all of our shows at sandyboyproductions.com. You all have a wonderful rest of your day.